Hola, Joshua Smizer de Leon here, founder and host of the Basel podcast. Thanks for listening to the show where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community from La Isla to the diaspora. If you want to help us share the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here on Paseo, Boricua, and Chicago and around the world, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribing helps more people find the show and will help you make sure you never miss an episode. Leaving a five-star rating and showing some love in the comments helps too. You can also give a donation by looking up the Paseo podcast on savechicagomedia.org. Okay, that's enough from me. Enjoy the show. Bienvenidos. This is Joshua Smizer de Leon. You're listening to the Paseo podcast. Thanks for listening or watching us. Uh, we're talking about a really interesting story today. And uh, maybe some of you have heard of it. Maybe some of you have not. They're called the Pandora Papers. Uh, I'm going to let our guests go into a little bit of detail on what those are. We're definitely going to take the deep dive into what the Pandora Papers are. But to give you all a high level view, uh, it is a historic leak. It's the biggest leak ever we've seen of this kind that reveals how global elites have basically taken billions of dollars and hidden them beyond reach in tax havens throughout the world. Uh, so to help us make sense of it all, how that connects to Puerto Rico, not just uh, not just as a, as a colony, but uh, Puerto Rico banks, Puerto Rico celebrities, uh, noteworthy individuals. Uh, there are some Puerto Rico connections that were uncovered in these Pandora papers. So to help us make sense of this all, I've invited reporter uh, Luis Valentin. He reports for uh, El Centro de Periodismo Investigativo. I've uh, been doing some really good reporting on the Pandora papers and the, the Puerto Rico connections. So Luis, welcome to the Paseo podcast. Really happy to have you with us today. Hola, Yusha. Thanks for having me here. Happy to be here. Before we get into the nitty gritty of what the Pandora Papers are and how they connect to Puerto Rico, uh, can you give our audience a sense of who you are? What should they know about you? Okay, so oh, a big question. Uh, I'm, a, question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a journalist. I've been doing this for pretty much the past 10 years. Uh, and since 2018, uh, I began working with El, El Centro, CPI, uh, which is a nonprofit uh, pretty much dedicates to investigative journalism here in Puerto Rico. Uh, my main topic, so to speak, um, have been the covering the PROMESA federal law and La Junta, which you, you probably have talked or, or, or know about, and all the debt crisis and the bankruptcy proceedings that, that have been taking place um, these past few years. But I also have um, covered uh, you know, things related to business, corruption, and money, and, and all that. So that's pretty much my, my area of expertise at El Centro. All the fun stuff. All the fun, exciting <laughs> stuff. Um, slash, like, really saddening, um, I'd imagine. Um, why, yes. did you, why did you decide to go into that beat? Why, why that, that uh, area of reporting? Because like I was saying, like, that can be exciting, the investigative side of it, but... It can also, yeah. I mean, for me, I'm speaking, I don't want to speak for mm -hmm. you, but for me, it's like, I, how do you not get like 
frustrated uh, reporting on some of these things because we've talked about La Junta before, bankruptcy, mm-hmm. Puerto Rico's bankruptcy. It's hard for me not to get frustrated talking about it. And you're actually reporting on it. So just yeah. why, why did you decide to go down that path? You know, like you do get frustrated. But now that I think about it, I don't remember if I had a choice. No, I'm kidding. I mean, like I, I, I remember <laughs> I, I, it. <laughs> it was just like I was covering um, uh, in my old job, uh, uh, there was like a day-to-day coverage of what was going on in Puerto Rico. And at that time, the whole fiscal crisis was exploding. And one thing led to the other. Then comes Promesa, comes the board, comes the bankruptcy. Um, and ever since, I would say 2016, 2017, um, all of a sudden, I found myself covering pretty much these topics, and and I mean, and I like it. I come from a, um, I did, um, I have a degree in economics. Uh, uh, I went to law school, so you know some of this stuff I'm able to you know relate to um, easily. Uh, but but you're right. I mean, like you do get frustrated and covering uh, the whole Puerto Rico fiscal crisis, debt crisis, La Junta and corruption on the side it's you know it could be you know very very frustrating but we do it and and we hope it you know it does good to to the people here Puerto Rico. well you've been doing some very good reporting i mean i'm a i told you this when i reached out to you originally like i'm a big fan of cpi um <laughs> I, I would hope a lot of people that listen and keep me honest here luis i hope a lot mm-hmm. of people here are are familiar with cpi and if they're not you definitely should be um, and I know a lot of uh, Boricuas in the diaspora, you know, it, it's really all English. Um, Spanish, yes. those Spanish muscles don't really get flexed. And CPI reports in Spanish. But there are ways to, one, it's a great way to read some of that reporting and start, you know, a good way to learn. Um, mm-hmm. But two, there's also ways to to translate that. So you can, maybe it's not sure. a perfect translation, but you can kind of get the gist. Um, but I think yeah. that's why it's important to have someone like you on. Because for people in diaspora that may not be able to read this reporting in Spanish, it kind of helps us distill what some of these yeah. larger issues happening on La Isla are. I, I totally agree with the with the aspect of, of, of the importance of publishing uh, both in Spanish and English. And actually at El Centro, uh, we recognize that. Um, and we've been trying to translate most of our stories. Um, these ones in particular, I don't think that translations are, are up. But we, we, we totally, you know, um, agree in, on, 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 on the importance of, you know, um, trying to um, um, get the diaspora involved and, and, and making uh, the stories available in English for people who, who, who don't understand or, or, or have a tough time with the, with the Spanish version. So we totally agree on that and we'll try to, you know, keep improving. That's good to hear, Luis, and I'll definitely keep yes. an eye out for that. I know, seriously, I think that's yeah. so so needed, so needed. Um, and I believe, yes. like some of the the breaking news. I mean, you you all are breaking news uh, on the uh, uh, pretty regularly. I mean, I want to say probably one of the biggest ones that I can remember in recent memory was 2019. I believe you. It was CPI that broke that story with yeah. the governor with Roselló, right? Yes. The, the misogynistic the text, chat. making fun of mm-hmm. people that passed away uh, because of Hurricane Maria. That essentially led to one of the largest protests the island has ever seen. Mm-hmm. Definitely a, a media outlet worth following. Uh, you do some really good investigative reporting. It's a big reason why we're even talking about the Pandora Papers today. I, I found, yes. I discovered <laughs> about it. I, I had known about the Pandora Papers because I'd pay attention to the Panama Papers yes. uh, being released. Yes. 
And of course, you know, when the, the elites of our world find out that, oh, uh, we, we, they've caught on to our tactics and where we're staying, where we're keeping our money, well, let's just move it somewhere else yes. and find a different tactic. Yes. So here we are with the Pandora Papers. So g- give us your best <laughs> shot. What should people listening know about the Pandora Papers? Okay, so the Pandora Papers are basically um, one of the largest leaks of, of documents, financial documents um, in history. We're talking about 11.9 million um, documents, and they come from 14 different providers. I mean, providers are basically law firms, consulting firms, um, companies that dedicate to um, set up what we call offshore companies around the world. Um, so we, we can we'll get into that um, in a bit. But but just to finish with you know what what the Pandora Papers are. Um, they they were um, published and the, and, the, and the investigation was led by the ICIJ, which is the Investigating uh, Reporters um, International Consor- Consortium of Investigative Reporters, ICIJ. Um, um, they have done uh, previously um, these kind of leaks. Uh, we remember the Panama Papers was also led by ICIJ. Uh, they have had a couple of leaks similar to, to the Panama Papers, and now comes um, a new leak, which is the Pandora Papers. Uh, and what uh, was basically found with these 11, you know, among in, in these 11.9 million documents is pretty much information on a lot of uh, politicians, uh, power figures, artists, uh, soccer players. I mean, we're talking about a lot of powerful uh, people with a lot of money and how they move around their, mo- their money um, in what we call uh, offshore companies. Now, what is an offshore? It's basically a company that is set up in different jurisdictions, usually for their low taxes or their privacy laws. They, they don't reveal as much of who the beneficial owner is of these companies. So um, a lot of powerful people who have a lot of money and companies use these offshore um, companies to, as you said, move around money and try to, you know, um, avoid paying taxes or pay um, less taxes or avoid giving up too much information or any information whatsoever on who's behind uh, that money and, and, and that company. And in the worst case scenario, uh, it could be used for illegal activities such as money laundering, um, tax fraud, tax evasion, we already discussed that. And, and just moving, you know, um, you know, money from, from illegal activity, drugs, arm uh, trade, you know, you, you name it. So um, having an offshore company is not illegal per se. Um, the problem is what's the purpose of that entity and whether the beneficial owner of that entity um, is meeting um, their tax um, um, responsibility um, in their jurisdictions. And, and thanks to ICIJ and a lot of uh, other investigative uh, work, we have found that these offshore companies are used a lot for illegal activities and they raise a lot of flags on how they are used. And eventually what, what we're trying to get here is um, how they affect um, governments that do not receive that money. And that's money that could go to, you know, pay for services, you know, to, and, and all of us pretty much who are listening to this 
uh, we pay our taxes, you know, we have to comply with, you know, with, with where we live and we have to pay it and all that. And all of a sudden, there, it seems like there's a different set of rules for uh, very, you know, uh, rich and powerful people that they are able to use these offshore companies and move money around to try to avoid or, or reduce their tax liabilities. So we're talking about $500 billion each year that are lost in, in government revenue um, due to offshore activity. So that's, that's a lot of money. And in times where economic inequality is so high, you know, that money is really needed in a lot of, um, you know, for example, here in Puerto Rico, we, we need money for, for services. We know how bad our government services are right now. So, you know, it, it raises a lot of questions and, and an interesting debate on, uh, okay, it's legal, but should it sit, exist as it is right now? Or maybe some changes could come into play, you know, trying to have more visibility into this world because it, it's very uh, secret, um, like shady sometimes. And... And works like Pandora Papers um, help shed some light on, on, on that activity. So, so that's pretty much the overview of, of what the Pandora Papers are and, and, and the offshore system, how it works in, in general. Yeah, no, that, was, that was a great explanation. Um, and I think you hit on a lot of really good things. Um, you know, are there in the Pandora Papers, are there things that will constitute as illegal, such as? having an offshore company that allows you to do money laundering. Um, but on the other end, the not so illegal part, but ethically, ethically uh, questionable um, or ethically corrupt, you know, moving around money to avoid paying taxes that would essentially be going into a society that you're a part of uh, mm -hmm. to help other people. But instead you're just solely just trying to help yourself. Um, and you know, honestly, I, I, this is a this is a, a tricky one. I think for for some people, I think some people were yes. like, yeah. I mean, how are the wealthy? To your point, how are the wealthy able to just hide this money or take advantage of certain relationships yes. or certain knowledge so that they can make themselves even more wealthy, while uh, the working class family, the family that's living poor, the individual that's living poor, is working a full time job and can barely keep the lights on. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the inequality there, I think, makes people very upset. Now, the flip side of that, that I'm interested to hear your perspective on, you know, what would you say to somebody that sees the reporting on the Pandora Papers and thinks, well, if I had a lot of money, I'm just using the loopholes in whatever tax code is a part of my <laughs> country of origin um, and using what's available to me in order to maximize my income. So that I can take care of myself and the generations after me. You know, what would you say to somebody that asks you that? You're right. I mean, that's that's the that's the tricky question, and and we we heard that a lot after publishing our our investigations. We've been talking later about. Um, we receive a lot of feedback and and comments on that, and you know, like, well, it's legal. Um, what's what's wrong with it? And and I go back to to you know to what I said before. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you could say that it's legal to have a, an offshore and to use these tax loopholes that are available to you, but it should be addressed as a matter of public policy. Is that what we want um, to be as a society as a whole? Yeah, sure, you can look for yourself and your family for, for, for generations to come, but, uh, but at the same time, you don't live in a 
sometimes it seems like it, but but you don't live in a silo, you know, you don't live alone. You're part of a bigger society. And and a lot of that money could actually, you know, if it's well spent and well administered, it could go to, you know, to to provide better services to 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 everybody around you, including yourself sometimes. So um I mean, it, it, you're right. I mean, it, it goes back to the question, okay, it, it, is it right, I mean, to do this? I mean, it's legal. Yeah, you can argue that. But am I doing something positive or, or is it having a positive effect on, on society? And that's why I think that that question should be addressed to the governments themselves. Um, that should, you know, that's a public policy discussion that each government should have. And that actually, in recent times, we've seen governments of a lot of countries move toward discussing how to, you know, get rid of those of those tax loopholes, and and that you know, like you know, you have tax havens and jurisdictions where you know, like companies will move around to try to get advantage of that. Like you see that the governments are um, being a bit more aware of like. Yeah, we have this legal system and each one, you know, has their own set of laws and, and, and tax loopholes if you want to have them or not. But right now, everything is so connected that we should have a conversation as a world, you know, and say like, hey, how are we going to deal with this? Because like, it's certainly happening. It, there's certainly a lot of money, as I said, 500 billion a year. That's, you know, that's, that's insane. I mean, and that's money that is being lost, in, you know, many times in, 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 in jurisdictions and countries that really need that money to, to, to be able to, to provide um, decent and, and essential services. So, yeah, I mean, like, I'll, I'll, you know, people have their right to do whatever the law says. It's legal, I guess. That's our system, I guess. But, um, but I will tell them that, you know, that it's a deeper debate and I'll try to, and I've, and I've done that. I mean, with people that come to me and say, hey, but what about this? This is legal. I'll try to have a conversation with them and try to see if they also agree with, you know, with the aspect of how much money is being, you know, lost to, to, to this kind of activity and whether it should be done in the way that it is right now. I mean, it's not only the, the tax, um, you know, uh, question is also, you know, there's a lot of um, visibility issues. Like there's a lot of jurisdictions that they don't require to, you know, to disclose anything. And, and you know, and that, you know, that sets up the perfect scenario for um, illegal activity. You know, um, you have these systems being used by, you know, drug dealers, uh, um, traffickers. Uh, I mean, like it, it, it's very complicated. So it, I, I think it's a deeper discussion than just saying, okay, it's legal, so that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it, and, and we should move forward. A lot of things that will, that are right now outrageous were legal at some point, and you know, and the debate in society led to changes, and and you know, and and and, and I think that's that's the way we should go. And 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 definitely, it's a question that should be addressed by governments uh, because I see it as a public policy issue. Yeah, and if I if if I can just kind of repeat back what, I, what I'm hearing, just kind of like, and this is not going to do justice to everything you shared, <laughs> but um, you know, the the Pandora Papers they on one level expose the inner workings of how people amass wealth, hide wealth, um, on a on a I don't want to I don't want to minimize this, but on a smaller scale, you get to see 
oh, okay, this this company or this noteworthy person or celebrity mm-hmm. was so, you know, gun ho rah-rah about being for the people and <laughs> the rich paying their fair share. Um, that might, you know, be use be using a lot of that language to make themselves seem like they are in favor of policy that would benefit the many and not the few. Um, mm-hmm. And with the Pandora Papers, that kind of exposes yeah. as a little bit of hypocrisy, a lot of hypocrisy there. Um, yeah. In those scenarios, but on mm-hmm. a wider scale, to your point, uh, it's it's less about hey, look at what they're doing. It's 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 illegal, and you should care about it. But more along the lines of Hey, look at what they're doing. It's legal. Mm-hmm. You, can you believe this? That our our <laughs> policymakers have allowed this to happen when mm-hmm. you yourself, as a working class person, a working poor person, can aren't getting the same yeah. the same resources. And really, as mm-hmm. a as a company or as an individual that employs people, you would want. I would think you'd want to pay that money back into society because that's going to uplift the society that give people access to certain services that help them live longer, yeah. access a higher education, creates a bigger talent pool that you can then mm-hmm. hire and grow your business. I mean, there there's a lot of benefits to investing uh, into yeah. society. To your point, bigger issue is about policy. So you had mentioned $500 billion globally gets lost uh, a year yeah. um, through these offshore companies. Let's hone in on Puerto Rico specifically. Who okay. appears in the Pandora Papers? What is their connection to Puerto Rico? I know you had mentioned banks in your reporting, notable, yeah. noteworthy uh, Puerto Ricanos. Uh, can you give us a little bit of detail on that? Sure. So um, when at Centro we 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 work with this um, uh, global investigation. We're talking about the largest um, journalist um, investigation and collaboration um, ever of over 600 journalists, 150 uh, different news outlets. So it was very big and huge. And in Puerto Rico at El Centro, we basically um, started working with this um, earlier this year. Um, we became part of, a, of the consortium. And, and I, was, I was already investigating um, uh, international banks in Puerto Rico. Uh, what are these? Well, these are... Uh, mostly small boutique banks that offer services to foreigners, not to people who live in Puerto Rico. That, that's a requirement. They cannot um, give services um, to local residents. They only can export um, financial services. So I was can already I investigating these banks. Can I banks. stop you there, Luis, huh? real quick? I'm sure. sorry for interrupting you, but I'm just fascinated because that sounds like some Act 22 stuff. <laughs> it is actually, and I and I did investigate actually before the banks. Oh <laughs> we, we were actually it was part of a of a uh, we we've been doing an investigation um, series in at, at Centro, which is called uh, Incentivos a Ciega. We, we're trying to um, take a look at the incentives that the Puerto Rico government gives out and what are their results. What is the return on that on that investment? How are how is the Puerto Rico government um, overseeing these incentives? Whether people are complying with what we ask um, them, or whoever receives these incentives. So we've been uh, working with this um, topic for I would say almost a year now, and we we just had concluded uh, the investigation on Act Twenty Two, uh, which published around March 
uh, I would say. Um, and the, my next um, um, topic was international banks through an uh, incentive that is called Act 273, which is basically uh, the, an incentive for international financial entities. It was created the same year as Act 22 in 2012 uh, under the government of Luis Fortuño. And the whole idea was pretty much the same as Act 22. You bring capital from, you know, from outside, bring it to Puerto Rico. That will create jobs. That will, you know, spur the economy. And it will be great. So we found that Act 22 has not been great. And even the government commission studies acknowledge that. And we pretty much found the same with, with these banks. And, and how these banks um, uh, factor into the Pandora Papers were, well, um, when we get access to, to, to the investigation and, and to the leak, one of the first things that I did was um, uh, kind of cross what, what I had of the international banks with the Pandora Papers. And what we found at El Centro and in this investigation was that uh, various international banks here in Puerto Rico uh, show up in Pandora Papers, either by being as intermediaries, let's say uh, offshore companies opening bank accounts in these banks or using the, these banks to do wire transfers, basically to move money around, or even the bank owners or shareholders or members of their board of directors were part of the Pandora Papers, having themselves offshore companies and, and you know, being part of the system. So again, it's not illegal to have an offshore company, but the purpose is really important because that would say if, if those offshore companies are being used um, you know, legally or not. So um, our investigation, our first investigation that, that, you know, about the Pandora Papers was about how these international banks have been um, involved with offshore companies around the world and how they serve as intermediaries uh, to these entities and how some of the bank owners, shareholders, and directors or officials also have themselves offshore companies. And many of those bank owners and shareholders are actually Act 22 decree holders. So, you know, they don't pay taxes on their Act 22. They set up a bank, a small bank here in Puerto Rico for their own money, and they don't pay taxes on that income as well. And they are, they are part as well of, of the offshore system where they don't pay taxes elsewhere. So, you know, that's pretty much what we found. I have to say, yes, they are, there are banks that we found in our investigation that conduct business as, you know, as usual, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. But we did identify at least more than 10 different international banks that had some types of legal problems before, or their owners were involved in some sort of investigations. We had the FBI investigating a couple of these banks in recent years. Um, and the other side of that story is the, the inability of the government to actually oversee these banks. Mm -hmm. um, here in Puerto Rico, we have what's called OSIF, the, the, the Office of the Commissioner of Financial Institutions. That's, an, that's the main entity um, tasked with overseeing the whole banking system here in Puerto Rico. And we, we actually interviewed the commissioner, Natalia Sequeira, and when we asked how many employees do, does the office has to 
um, uh, oversee all these banks, all, all these international banks and their operations, she said that they have eight employees. We're talking about eight employee examiners for 85 banks, including Banco Popular, First Bank, the, the big banks, and also the international banks. So, I mean, even, even she admitted that, you know, they don't, you know, she, she did say that they have a culture of compliance and that they're moving to audit all of these banks right now. Which has which haven't been done in the past, I, I must say. Uh, but at the same time, she says, "Hey, we we have problems recruiting more people. They pay twenty four thousand dollars a year to these examiners, and they require a a, a degree on on econ, on accounting or finance. I mean, it's 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 a tough situation when you know when you look at the government, for example, with Act twenty two. And you have them saying, oh, we want Puerto Rico to become the financial center of the Caribbean, the Singapore of the Caribbean, and, you know, and, and all, the, and all that, those things. But you don't have the resources to, to properly oversee these, these, you know, these entities and these individuals. You have a big problem. Uh, and right now, those have been the results that we've seen in our investigations into Act 22 and the one on the banks uh, related to the Pandora Papers, which was basically our, the, the main investigation related to the Pandora Papers uh, that we published at their center. So if I'm hearing you correctly, so these banks, these banks in, in Puerto, there's banks in Puerto Rico that specifically cater to people that don't live on La Isla, that aren't Puerto Rico residents. Exactly. They only can cater to those people. Like they cannot tend to, to Puerto Rico residents. And and if did I hear you did I understand you correctly? That's tied to act. Is that tied directly to Act Twenty Two? Like do those bank are those banks allowed to do that based off of the Act Twenty Two policy, or are they doing that kind of in that same thought as Act Twenty Two? Like this is how we can get financial investment. Like both. Um, okay. It's it's part of the package uh, that was passed by the government back mm -hmm. then that includes Act Twenty Two, Act Twenty, Act Two Seventy Three. Gotcha. So a lot of people actually use all of those laws at the same time sometimes. And that's why I said that you, you do have an Act 22 decree holder being the bank owner of an international financial entity that also receives the Act 2273 um, um, incentive. So you have like a double dipping there. And it's perfectly legal because that was the way it was set up. They, they wanted people to, to make, you know, to take advantage of that. It reminds me of this one story I was reading about recently. Um, I want to say mm -hmm. last week, maybe the week before, but um, it, it was a, a person in New York who had been running a homeless shelter. And this homeless shelter uh, had all types of complaints, uh, the people experiencing homelessness there, the, the living conditions were, were, were not well, the food was not, was not uh, well cooked. Um, and I'm not saying they're like, let's give filet mignon. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, you, you, you're just like the basic nutrients that somebody needs to survive. Wasn't, couldn't, wasn't even done correctly. And then through that investigation, it was discovered that, uh, this person had family members on the, on the payroll, but through, through different businesses. So they were yeah. getting grants from the New York government um to do that to offer this service to people experiencing homelessness but then also created private companies put themselves and their family members as the heads of those private companies and were able to pay themselves private sector wages on public dollars 
So yeah. talk about d- double dipping, triple dipping, yeah. quadruple dipping. That's, that's insane. <laughs> um, so hearing hearing this story reminds me a lot of that, and especially and we've talked about uh, Act Twenty, Act Twenty Two, and predatory uh-huh. gentrification on Laila in, in past episodes. But for people just tuning in now, and, and Luis, give keep me honest here with with these numbers. Yeah. But it's my understanding that um, Act, Act Twenty, Act Twenty Two, which I believe were packaged into the the, the same yeah. policy but um to kind of talk about them separately the idea with act 22 is let's attract businesses let's lower the corporate tax rate so if a business was based here in the united states uh their corporate tax rate was 21 percent. whereas if they were in puerto rico that corporate tax rate goes down to four percent so they're yeah. saving a ton of money um yes. same thing with act similar to act 22 and actually i'd say worse um, that was more focused yes. on individuals, like what we're talking mm-hmm. about. And that lowered what's called the capital gains tax from if you lived here uh, in the United States, 37%. If you live in, in Puerto Rico, where Luis is based, yeah. you're paying 0%. So you got a lot of cryptocurrency people, a lot of YouTubers, mm-hmm. the Logan and Jake Pauls of the world <laughs> moving to Laila to take advantage of the fact that if they live there, they're not going to pay yeah. taxes. And to make this all even better, um, it's my understanding that Act 22 isn't even something that's available to Puerto Ricans or Puerto Rico residents unless they've lived outside of Puerto Rico in the six years of the law being created. So further exclusionary tactics from uh, allowing the people of Puerto Rico to benefit from this policy. So just really, really interesting. And I did not know that about the banks, that they could not serve Puerto Rico residents. That's just, that yeah, and that's, blows my mind. And that's another incentive that's usually packaged with Act 2022. So what we will see is like uh, some people, I'm not saying that all of them, but there are Act 22ers who also own a decree under the Act 273 and own a bank. And they set up a bank. Um, and they actually talk freely about it. I remember one case um, that is mentioned in our story about the Pandora Papers where, where he's talking in a podcast like this saying how good it was for his business to uh, get Act 22, move to the island, you know, really cheap, cheap real estate, all that, uh, set up here in Puerto Rico. And then he has so much money that why not? Let's open a bank. And now he has all of a sudden he also owns a bank that only pays uh, 4% um, income tax rate. So, I mean, there's... As you said, I mean, those are things, especially Act 22, that are not available to Puerto Ricans. Act 20 has a bit of mixed results because there are some Puerto Rico companies who uh, take advantage of the law. Uh, but again, Act 22 is only for, for people who, who, as you said, are not Puerto Rico resident or haven't lived here for, for a period of time. Uh, that, you know, incentive is not available to Puerto Ricans who live here. So... I mean, it, it's it's a bit of a tough situation with the with the incentives that we have here in, our, in Puerto Rico. Well, it's my understanding too, like with those acts, um, Act Twenty for for businesses. Like, there's not even like I think there is a quota. Like, you have to have a certain amount of a certain number of Puerto Ricans employed. But it's like, yeah. what is it like five? They changed that actually. They oh, had okay. uh, what did what did they change? They they, they first had like uh, they they were required to hire four employees. Then okay. they you know, eliminated that. Act 22 never had a, an employment requirement. Um, the bank's law has a, an employment requirement of 10, I believe, or four, I'm not sure right now. I could go back and yeah. 
I look forward to that. But uh, but this but the thing is that we have I, I mean we have talked to so many economists, even the ones that are commissioned by the government to conduct these studies to to you know to show the results of these laws, and they agree that it's not enough. I mean they. The government of Puerto Rico is not getting enough back on what they're giving these individuals and these companies to to be able to you know use these incentives and, and pay so less in taxes. So, so I mean it's it's a it's a really interesting debate. And right now we know that in the legislature they're talking about it, trying to introduce changes, at least some changes uh, to these laws to make it more. Um, uh, a better option for the government, you know, to, to try to get these people here. I mean, do you know offhand what some of those specific changes are, or what, like those, what, what are some of those specific changes being discussed in, in local government? Do you have an idea of what those are? Yes. Right now they're asking about, they're, they're talking about, um, in the case of the banks and in the case of act 22, they're talking about increasing the tax rate to 10%. Um, in the case of the employment requirement, they are also talking about increasing the number of, 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 of required jobs that need to be created and that these jobs are new jobs. What we ha what happened before was like, let's say that I hire a chef and I have my chef, I have my driver, um, I'll count that as a, as a new job created. When that job already existed, you know, that person could give services to other people, to other companies, whatever. So right now they're talking about, you know, trying to move um, requirements toward uh, creating jobs and actually creating jobs and new jobs and getting a bit back from them in the, in the way of increasing the tax rate that they pay from 4% to 10, 10%, which is still very competitive. Um, if you compare it to other jurisdictions around the world, I mean, like for these people, this is, you know, very good, a very good option to have a 10% tax rate. You mentioned some tax rates that they'll have to pay, you know, if they live in the U.S. or elsewhere. So, yeah, I mean, it still cuts, it still cuts the corporate tax it's, rate. It's a good deal. Like yeah. More than half, you know, so it's, yeah, 10% yeah, is amazing. So I think one of those other things that, one of the other things that, uh, was blowing my mind was the pay because um, average salary in Puerto Rico, you're talking like 20, 30 K, I think. Right. So you're looking at less than that. Less than that. OK, so yeah. that then you're so you're like just everybody's scrapping for the same dollar as opposed to mm -hmm. having policy that goes to help the many instead of the few. Uh, so yeah. it, uh, it, it's good to hear that they're at least trending in the right direction, not where it should be. Um, but at least but, <laughs> you know, not even close, uh, but it's good to hear that those conversations are, are being had. Let, you mentioned, you mentioned individuals a lot in our conversation. So we talked about banks. Yep. Who are some notable Puerto Ricans that were named at the Pandora papers? <laughs> and actually, you know, if you want to throw out who are some of like some notable, like just Latina, Latinx, Latino, Latinas yeah. <laughs> that were mentioned, you know, hey, uh, go for it. I would, I think some of the names that I saw in there were very, very interesting. So give us yeah. a sense, who, who was named in these papers? So um, another investigation that we had the, the opportunity to collaborate with uh, as part of the Pandora Papers was uh, uh, Latin American celebrities um, story. Um, and unfortunately for some of our family members, I remember my, my, my aunt called me and, and, and said, oh my God, I can't believe 
um, that Shakira was there, or I can't believe that Julio Iglesias was there, um, Miguel Bosé, uh, Alejandra Guzman, all those artists, you know, um, are mentioned and figuring in, 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 as part of the Pandora Papers. And in the case of Puerto Rico, and I actually received a lot of backlash with this, it was uh, Chayanne, uh, Elmer, you know, uh, his real name is Elmer Figueroa, uh, but everybody knows him as, as, as Chayanne. Um, that was an investigation actually led by El País from, from Spain. Um, they were doing this investigation on the um, Latin American celebrities that uh, were, you know, mentioned uh, in, in the Pandora Papers. And they, you know, we, we talked to them and we saw that, you know, Chayanne was, was, was mentioned there. So um, El País actually found that in the case of Chayanne, um, he figured to have a company back in the early 2000s uh, called Fentress. Uh, it was an offshore company based in Panama. Um, and he basically um, could use that company, uh, you know, to sign agreements, to receive money, to be, you know, to get paid pretty much um, anywhere in the world. Um, and that company was dissolved in 2013, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, El País tried numerous times to get a comment from Chayanne to, again, it's not illegal to have an offshore company, but just to explain, you know, what's the purpose uh, uh, of, the, of the company and whether uh, it met all the tax liability and all the you know, paid taxes pretty much. Uh, they, they, we never heard from Chayanne pretty much. And, and still today, uh, we haven't heard from him. Really? That's such um, a surprise. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you know what? It's actually a surprise. I thought really? at, at one point, You're after pub no, because after publishing, um, I mean, we, we, he had enough time to, to respond. Um, he didn't. And then I thought when, when, you know, everybody was talking about this story and, you know, oh my God, Chayanne is in the Pandora Papers. How can it be possible? Um, and all that. Uh, I, I thought that he would, you know, at least made a make some comment or, or react to it, you know. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, he'll say, hey, yeah, it's illegal, whatever. I mean, again, it's not illegal, but but I'm not saying that I'm not expecting a whole explanation, you know, of, of the whole, you know, business dealing, uh, even though that's what we will hope for, you know, to have some, you know, clarity and transparency on that. But, um, but at least some comment, you know, like, Hey, I, 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 I'm aware that this is happening, you know, I'll, you know, I'll address it, um, eventually or anything. I don't know, but I really thought that he would, you know, at least react to it, but, no, no. Today, it, 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 it has not happened. So um, that was uh, pretty much the, the most famous uh, Puerto Rican, I would say, um, that, that was found in, in the Pandora Papers. As part of that story, we also um, identify a few other Puerto Ricans, um, less known. Uh, two of them were government contractors. Uh, we tried reaching out to them. Um, two of them actually responded back. Um, uh, one of them explained that it was a, you know, a, a business, uh, dealing that he had in Panama with his offshore company that he actually met all of his tax liability. Um, that was one of them. And the, uh, there was another one who actually said that he wanted to open the offshore and he did the whole paperwork. And then they said that they were not going 
to follow through with it. So they apparently never received money, uh, or at least that's um, what, what, what he said. And finally, there was one that never responded back to us. And it was an, uh, a guy named Manuel Matienzo. He, he was actually unknown here in Puerto Rico. I don't know if you remember or, or you guys heard from a very controversial sale of ventilators back at the onset of, uh, of the pandemic. Uh, I don't know how many millions to get some ventilators. And, and uh, apparently it would take like two years to get them. Um, it was a shady uh, transaction. It never went through. Um, and all of a sudden, we're conducting this Pandora Papers investigation, and the name of the business owner of that company shows up as having an offshore company. So um, we never heard back from him. Um, still waiting for that. So, so yeah, that was pretty much the 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 people from Puerto Rico that we identify uh, in these Pandora Papers. Again, this is an ongoing investigation. So maybe in the future, you know, we, we will, you know, be able to publish um, stories of more Puerto Ricans or related to Puerto Rico. But those, those, those two were pretty much the, the, the two stories that the Centro did as part of the Pandora Papers and that relate to Puerto Rico. The use of banks and international banks uh, here in Puerto Rico as intermediaries and also uh, their owners and shareholders being involved, being mentioned in these Pandora Papers. People from Venezuela, I remember a lot of them. Um, all these people figured to be in the, in the Pandora Papers. And uh, the other story about Chayang, which, uh, I, I mean, we, we're still waiting to, to hear from him, but led by El País, identified Chayang, as well as other artists, as I said, Shakira, Julio Iglesias, Alejandra Guzman. Uh, we saw... Uh, soccer players, Angel Di Maria was there. Uh, soccer coaches, um, Pep Guardiola was also mentioned. I mean, like it, it was, it was you know pretty big, big in terms of the names and mentioning in the Pandora Papers. Really? And of course, politicians. I mean, like I think politicians. And going back to a question that you uh, or a comment that you made earlier, um, in in terms of like, I, I, it blows my mind how some of these politicians. Who, who leave the country, but had their money outside of the country. Like, how can you ask the people who live in your country to, to, you know, to, to pay your fair share of taxes if you're not doing it in your own country and you're a political leader? So uh, a lot of political leaders were, were mentioning the Pandora Papers, people related to Vladimir Putin, uh, Piñera from Chile, uh, who is being investigated right now, I understand, back in Chile. Um, uh, Ecuador as well was mentioned there. I mean, like it, it was pretty big and a lot of big names, powerful names uh, mentioned in, in the Pandora Papers. It's hard not to like read this stuff and like it piles yeah. up to the point where you just don't have trust in institutions anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and that's mm -hmm. the date. And then that's where we get into really dangerous right. territory because then you, you just start tuning out. People start getting upset um, and take out their anger sometimes on the wrong mm -hmm. group of people. Um, yes. And, and they, again, I'm jumping around here a little bit, but it reminds me of something that's uh, something that I think is pretty funny, um, but also upsetting. Uh, here in the United States, um, <laughs> we have uh, there's a bunch of uh, kids on TikTok that pay attention to the disclosures that elected officials have to release. Um, they, they absolutely have to release those as uh, elected mm -hmm. officials of their investments uh, specifically are in those disclosures. 
So you'll have people that follow Democrats and Republicans in Congress mm -hmm. to see how they where they are investing and they just mm -hmm. invest their money that same way and they're making money like yeah. no losses, like just making money just by following how politicians that have that are privy to this information. You know, think about uh, elected officials investing in tech companies, knowing mm -hmm. that the pandemic was coming coming before we even went into um, lockdown, a lockdown. <laughs> making those investments and making lots of money. If only we knew how big Zoom was going to be or Slack was going to be, uh, know that we could invest in it. We don't have those. We don't have that information. So, again, ethically questionable, not necessarily illegal, um, mm -hmm. but it's there out in the open right in front of us. And it's yeah. just it's hard not to lose trust in our elected officials to actually make policy that works for everybody. You know, wh where do we go from here? You know, you mentioned that this is an issue of policy at, at, at a high level. This is a, this is really a story about how policy should be changed. Um, but where does Puerto Rico go from here as it relates to the Pandora Papers? Yeah, so in, in, in terms of the of, of Puerto Rico right now, um, um, as I said, there's there's some discussion at the legislature of, of revisiting these incentives and and the requirements and how the government oversees um, um, their you know their, their its incentives and uh, how people use it and that includes the banks um, we know that OSIF the, the the regulator of these banks um, is actually uh, actively auditing uh, these entities in part of reporting like 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 what we did with with the, with the banks and, and the Pandora Papers and, and and previous reports from other news outlets that have been um, covering these topics, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that here in, in Puerto Rico, we we, we kind of touched on this uh, before. Um, at least there's some discussion that some things need to change. Uh, a lot of people want to repeal these laws and you know and 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 get rid of these incentives and this system to try to you know to not have that problem. But, but what we're seeing from the legislature goes more toward how can we change it so we don't, we try to fix some of the flaws of these laws that we already know that they're there and, and, and you know, they're, they're so, so troublesome. Um, I talked about increasing tax rates to these people, um, increasing the work requirement um, numbers, and trying to get more out of, uh, of, of having um, these incentives. But again, as you said, I mean, it goes back to the to the debate. Okay, so should we keep doing it? Should we keep being this tax haven to 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 banks or to individuals or, or whoever wants to come here and take advantage of our tax laws? So that's a, I think that's a deeper discussion that that I don't see right now politicians um, actively pursuing that. I mean, I, again, there's a lot of money behind uh, a lot of interest <laughs> behind these things uh, and they're politicians so you know guys um, that's why it's really important I think to to do reporting like this because most of the time these things as you said they happen you know on, on, on backstage you don't see it happening uh, you, because you don't have access to that system you don't have access to those resources so shedding light on into those into these practices even though they're illegal um, gives you an opportunity to to see, hey, that's that's going on right now, and, and and politicians need to be accountable and explain it. And if they favor it, so come forward and say it. Uh, uh, 
and what that implies as well. So um, that's that's something that 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 discussion is something that I'm looking forward to see um, to continue to happen and try to see how we move um, to changes that are actually beneficial to to Puerto Rico. In terms of general, um, we have seen in the U.S. there's some legislation I believe introduced to 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 increase uh, transparency in the way of the beneficial owners and the entities that serve as intermediaries, law firms, um, you know, uh, uh, consultants that help set up these entities to try to see who's who's behind the whole thing. Um, and again, there's the talk about um, getting rid of a, of the disparities in tax rates and try to you know make everything equal to everybody and try to to get rid once and for all of the offshore system as we know it. So um, again, a lot of talk. Uh, let's see if it translates to to real action. That's that's what always happens with with these things, especially public policy, and especially when there's a lot of money behind you know all. Um, this this businesses. So let's see what happens. What's uh and uh, apologize in advance for any ignorance mm -hmm. I have on the relationship yeah. between Puerto Rico's elected officials and the, the people they uh represent. Um but I know like here in Chicago, you know, if there's an issue that we feel at the federal or state level, you know, we're able to pick up the phone or walk into an office and talk to that elected official to say like, hey, I want you to support this legislation or I want you to start working on legislation uh, that addresses this issue and resolves it. Um, is there a system like that in, in Puerto Rico? Like are people, is that accessibility there? Of course, like I say this from a Chicago standpoint where we're very <laughs> democratic and like you, you own this office as a taxpayer, so it's yours to walk into. Whereas other states, it's not going to be like that. So, like, is there that level of accessibility where if somebody was living in Puerto Rico, they could just reach out to their elected official and advocate for them to address uh, some of the issues that the Pandora Papers reveal? Yeah, technically, um, there is access. I mean, there's there's the phone numbers and people can call their lawmakers' office, and and technically they should have that access. Mm -hmm. But again, and, and I'm sure it happens elsewhere. You know, across the, the U.S., the, sure. there will be places and there will be lawmakers that are very accessible, yes. and and you could actually bring your concerns to them. And there are others that are not accessible at all. And and you know, and, and it's 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 sad, but but that's that's true. I mean, like so right now, yeah. There's there's a uh, we know that there's the opportunity to raise awareness on these issues, and people and there have been groups that actively. Uh, raise awareness on on especially we talked about Act 22 and and how bad incentives could be for the Puerto Rico economy and society as a you know as a whole um, and they do raise these issues uh, with lawmakers but again a lot of money behind some of these interests many of them are political you know donors you know like you get into the politics of it so you know yes much more is needed to actually push politicians to again to act and and and, and make um you know significant changes to, to the legislation as we have it right now hey there we want to take a moment to thank our partners the puerto rican cultural center of chicago and the chicago independent media alliance for their support this show would not be possible without them and shout out to our amazing podcast team learn more about them and the show by visiting our website paseomedia.org enjoy the rest of the show just have two 
uh, last question sure. uh, to ask you. I was inspired over the summer watching the Tokyo Olympics because Jasmine Camacho Quinn brought Puerto Rico our, our second ever gold medal. Did not have to mm -hmm. represent uh, Puerto Rico in the Olympics. Could have represented the United States and mm -hmm. won a gold medal for the U.S., but actively chose to represent Puerto Rico. Now she wins the gold medal. I know I'm probably like saying stuff you already know, but you know she wins the gold medal. Then all of a sudden on social media, I see a lot of this chatter questioning her Boricuanes, her Boricua card. You know, uh, she wasn't born in La Isla. Is she really Puerto Rican? She doesn't speak Spanish. Is she really Puerto Rican? Um, uh, there's also the added layer of that she's Afro-Boricua. So there might be some people saying, well, she doesn't quote unquote look Puerto Rican, whatever that means. Um, so I've been really loving just asking our guests, you know, what does being Puerto Rican mean to them? Because I do think it, everybody has a unique answer that's true to them. And I just like hearing people's, uh, responses, whether or not I agree with them or not. I just like giving that space for people to share what being Puerto Rican means to them. So, uh, Luis, same question, you know, what does being Puerto Rican mean, mean to you now that I've like dumped all of that context on you? <laughs> I know that's like, can be a loaded question. So, but just, just curious, you know, what does being Puerto Rican mean to you? Yeah, that's a, that's, I think that's the toughest question so far. Pandora <laughs> papers, tax policy, yeah, all day. Is... no, no problem. That's, that's easy. Uh, Wow, I think I mean like when when I when I listen to it, and it's great that you you brought that that example of Jasmine Camacho Queen. I mean, it's so complicated, and I and I I I will tell you something. I know what's what I don't agree with is like being so black and white in terms of like seeing it. You know, oh no, because it did it it did not meet these these and these requirements, or you know, like it. They, they want to see it so, so narrowly. And I think that that's, that's the first mistake to, to actually, you know, to, to think about if somebody is Puerto Rican or whatever they feel uh, like being. So it's so fluid. It's so plural. It, it, I mean, I don't, I mean, for, for example, for me, Jasmine Camacho Queen is perfectly Puerto Rican. And I, and I agree. I mean, like you do have to share some experiences, some common experiences. But that doesn't mean that you have to be born on the islands. I've, I've heard people saying, oh, no, he, he or she was not born in Puerto Rico. Like, uh-uh, like, that's not Puerto Rico. Or, oh, no, like, their parents, they don't talk um, Spanish or, or like, like, the person doesn't know Spanish. Like, I mean, like, I, I cannot speak, like, what I, like, what the, you know, like, no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, you can curse uh -huh. on this podcast if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I, curse I, mean, last podcast. Um, I mean i i i read a lot of comments on that and it's especially with 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 sports i mean i'm a big sports fan and this question comes up a lot and, and it's been coming up a lot since a lot of time I, I mean like even i mean with the puerto rico basketball team it's it's the question about oh should the New Yorkers be considered Puerto Ricans for the basketball team for the national team? I mean, what you have probably as you said like a guy that considers himself or herself Puerto Rican that calls himself a Puerto Rican that actually respect the culture you know share some experiences or whatever and and feels like that and you're negating that just because um, it doesn't fit into your definition of what Puerto Rican or Puerto Rican is. I mean, I don't think it works that way. 
Um, and again, I've seen it a lot in the sports discussion. Every time um, a player decides to play for Puerto Rico and, and you know, doesn't know Spanish and, uh, and hasn't even been here in, in, on the island or, or doesn't even know where his family or her family is here. I mean, like, whatever. I mean, like, um, they do share some things that make them believe that, that, that they're Puerto Ricans. I think that being respectful of, of, of the culture is very important. Um, again, because, you know, like you have to be respectful with every culture, with that, you know, with everything. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't see it as black and white. I see it as it's, it's a very fluid, very complicated and, and who am I, who, you know, to judge. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's spot on. You know, I think a lot of times what's missing from that conversation is the reason why there's, way more boy mm -hmm. in the states than on La Iba yeah. right now you know mm -hmm. we can't we can't have that conversation to say someone yeah. wasn't born here when they themselves probably had no choice whatsoever yeah. in the, the decision to leave um yeah. whether that's hurricane maria whether that's earthquakes the financial crisis yeah. i mean you name it i mean we just talked about yeah. the average salary i mean this there's a number of reasons why somebody would not be able to sustain themselves on La Iba. Yes. Um, and if we want to get keeps... technical, was Spanish, like using Spanish, like, was that always spoken in Puerto Rico? I don't think so. No, no. So if we <laughs> yeah, want to get no, technical, right. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it, it, and it will keep, I, I mean, like, what, what I really think about this is that it will keep getting more and more complicated as, the, as everything is more connected. You know, as you said, more people, you know, leaving the island. Or people from outside the island, from some reason, coming back to you know to the island and haven't been here before. I mean, like it will get so much complicated, and and you know, and culture is so complicated, so complex, so so unique, so so personal. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't have a a black and white definition, narrow definition of being Puerto Rican or Puerto Rican. Like I don't. And I don't believe that there should be one. You know, like it's it's. It's more complicated than that. No, right on. Um, okay, last question I have for you. Uh, <laughs> what is the best piece of advice that you have been given as a journalist? Wow. Uh, the best one. I would say... I mean, I, I, there's a lot of good advices. I mean, in terms of how to do reporting that I actually use all the time. But one of the, and, and it seems minor, but, but it's, it's, it was really important, especially at the time that I received it. It was when I, I was beginning to, to work as a journalist. And, and I remember I had um, uh, my friend and, and a colleague, um, Jesus Avila, he, He's been doing this for years. I mean, uh, I don't know for how long. And and I remember once, you know, like I was like, th there was a press conference. It was not over, but it was almost over. And I was already like, you know, packing this stuff. All right, I have everything. Um, uh, I have what I need to write a story. Let's go. You know, so fast with things how are, well, how things are now. Like you know, like everything's so fast. And he just like approaches me and said like, stay till the end, all the time. Stay till the end and get. Be sure to get everything, everything, everything. Be on time, and stay, and 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 you know, and and actually that works so much in in, in all of my stories. 
there's some points where I feel like I want to, okay, I feel like this is enough or, and, and I stay longer. And that's what I get my, my, the story sometimes. That's what I get, like, you know, like the big use out of it or the detail that I was missing or the interview that I was missing. I was, I remember one story that we did earlier this year, Cartas de la Quiebra. We went to the, to the, to the bankruptcy. Uh, the, there was a hearing at, at an office in Atorrey and we went there to get people there and we stayed there for like hours and we got two or three people and we were leaving. And I said, mom, let me stay a bit. Shows up the person that gives me the whole story. Like, I mean, like the last one. And, and, and you know, if, if you stay, you stay engaged, you know, and, and you listen, you know, that, 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 that piece of advice, I don't know, for some reason that, that, that was the first thing that come up to my, to, you know, to my, to my head. And, and it's something that I apply all the time when i feel tired when i feel like okay that i cannot do this no more or enough there's nothing here I, I try to tell myself okay stay and stay a while for a bit longer you can do it and that's when usually stuff happens so yeah you have to stay till till the end and and listen to everything and pay attention to everything because those are the details that will give you you know, a different story at least, or, 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 or you will be able to tell the whole story. Sometimes we, you know, with the quickness of how these, you know, how news are now right now, and, you know, you miss a lot of those things. And, um, and I think those are important. I think that's great advice. Um, <laughs> and, and honestly, I do. I mean, it's, I think a lot of time, well, first off, being a journalist is freaking hard. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, I've, I've written a little bit and like, I get exhausted writing a page, yeah. you know, <laughs> I, do yeah, no, writing, it is. I do a lot of writing professionally and I get exhausted writing, mm -hmm. let alone having to have the proper sources, understanding the context, like yeah. there's a lot that goes into it and, and you're writing on multiple topics. So it's, it's a lot. And I think for a lot of journalists, it can get easy to get into this cycle of, okay, what are the main points? Okay. I'm hitting the exactly. right beats. I can bang out, you know, 500 mm -hmm. words, no problem. I have what I need. And I think that's yeah. a lot of times what leads to where we are with a lot of people's distrust in the media where, yes, you have other players in, in, yeah. at play and what gets published and what doesn't. But I think the fast paced nature of our yeah. media cycle, it doesn't allow journalists that space to breathe. And you can start yeah. to develop those bad habits where you're like, mm -hmm. you're getting everything at face value and just running with the story. And then you get mistakes. Yeah. You get misinformation and then you just contribute to this cycle of people saying, yeah. see, see what they wrote. See how this is. You can't address <laughs> it. Um, so yep. uh, so great advice. Thank you for, for sharing. That. <laughs> I hope so. um, and it, it puts it in the context for me, too, because sometimes I'll see reporters like we had Carlos uh, Berrios on the show. Uh, the last mm -hmm. show we were talking about Luma Energy and I always yeah. see him tweeting. And he's like, yeah, I'm here. There's like four people left. I'm going to go home. I'm like, why are you still there? Why are you still there? Um, so that you, your advice, you know, that, that helps me too. It gives me some good context. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, for people that are listening that want to keep up with you, want to keep yeah. up with your reporting, Luis, how can they do that? What's your social media? What's the website for CPI? Give us all the things. What should we know? So um, you can uh, look for uh, CPI or CPI at periodismoinvestigativo.com. That's investigative journalism in Spanish.com. <laughs> um, you can find it in, in Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. 
uh, El Centro, and you can find me and follow me at Luis J O uh, Valentin. Uh, that's my Twitter uh, handle. That's where basically I mostly share my work. So um, and it's been great <laughs> to, to 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 being here and and talking to you, Joshua, and uh, people with El Paseo. And I hope it, it helped understand a little bit of, of, of what our work is at the Centro and, and particularly the Pandora Papers stories that we did um, as part of this investigation. No, I appreciate that. And like you said earlier, the story's not done. There's still a lot of reporting yeah. to do. So uh, <laughs> hopefully, you know, in the future, you had a good experience today. We'll have you sure. back on uh, to, to delve sure. a, a bit deeper. So, um, <laughs> Sure, sure. Okay. I'll be glad to do it. I would love that. Um, Luis Valentin, journalist for Centro del Periodismo Investigativo. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show and thank helping you. us make sense of all this uh, <laughs> complicated policy, <laughs> making sense of these Pandora papers. Um, you know, thanks again for, for being on the show today. Thank you. Before I say goodbye to you all, I want to give a shout out to one of our listeners and quickly share some Puerto Rican stories on my mind that I think you should read more into. First up, shout out to at Luis Centeno 12 on Twitter. I think I'm saying that Twitter handle right. If I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not the best with reading these Twitter handles, y'all. But um, shout out to that listener because they gave us some feedback on our last episode that was about Luma Energy and their role in the repeated blackouts being experienced in Puerto Rico. Uh, he kept his feedback short and sweet and just posted, great episode. Hey, I'll take it. We'll take it. Short feedback, long feedback, haikus, whatever you got for us, we want to hear it. So it's always great to hear from our listeners. So keep that feedback coming. We really appreciate hearing from y'all. Uh, and don't forget, you can also support the show by subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts, subscribing and leaving a five-star rating or whatever the highest rating is on the streaming platform uh, you're using to listen to this on uh, ultimately really helps more people find the show and also showing some love in the comments helps too. So if you could get on that, we would love it. You can also support the show by following us on social media, including our YouTube channel. You can also give a donation if you want to chuck in a buck, if it doesn't um, you know, hurt your wallet too much on savechicagomedia.org. That really helps as well. Now, here are a few Puerto Rican news stories on my mind that I challenge you all to go read up on after you listen to this episode. Number one, the Luma Energy story continues. There have been repeated protests in Puerto Rico against Luma Energy and La Junta's pressure on the U.S. colony to privatize even more public services. You can get caught up on that story by listening to our last episode or following the reporting of our guests on that episode, journalists uh, Nicole Acevedo and Carlos Berrios Polanco. Number two, as of this recording, the Puerto Rico legislature is deliberating a debt adjustment plan known as PC-1003. The controversial plan was negotiated by the Fiscal Control Board, which was, of course, imposed on Puerto Rico by the U.S. government and, uh, and bondholders of Puerto Rico's debt to collect on an illegal debt incurred by past governments. Definitely read up on this story because if this does become law, that could mean tax hikes and cuts to essential services for the next 25 years. That means the cutting of pensions, more privatization of public services, and even the closure of University of Puerto Rico's campuses. 
Needless to say, there have been a number of protests trying to convince elected officials to go against this legislation, but La Junta is putting just as much pressure on elected officials in PR as well. Number three, if you're interested in Puerto Rican diaspora history, the New York Times recently published a documentary on the historic 1970 occupation of Lincoln Hospital in the Bronx by the Puerto Rican organization, The Young Lords. It's just under an hour. I highly encourage you go check it out. Uh, it chronicles just how far the Young Lords had to go in order to get adequate medical services for their community. Finally, and to end on a high note here, last Thursday, Puerto Rico's women's hockey team won, won gold. Um, they were crowned champions at the Amerigol Latam Cup. Uh, again, I'm, my pronunciation may be horrible. I don't really keep up with hockey like that. But I thought this was a cool story because you don't really hear about hockey in, in Puerto Rico. Um, but that was a hockey tournament. It was held in Florida. Uh, and uh, our Puerto Rican uh, women's team kicked ass. So shout out to the Puerto Rican women's team and just women's sports in general. Of course, being from Chicago, this podcast being based on Paseo Boricua in Chicago, I got to show love to my Chicago Sky for bringing home our first ever WNBA championship. Sky town all day, baby. Sky town all day. Um, I just love seeing badass women doing badass things. So definitely go check out those stories, mi gente. Uh, I, I don't think you'll regret it. They're definitely worth doing some more digging into. Okay. That's our show for today, familia. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did or didn't, let us know. Podcast at gmail.com or at Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next episode is going to be a bit of a toss-up. We may do a feature on a local Boricua business or discuss the changing sentiment young Puerto Ricans are having toward Puerto Rico politics and La Isla's status. Until then, as always, if you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone for an interview, or share a news story you'd like us to discuss in the show, visit our website, paseomedia.org, to do just that. See you in two weeks. Cuídate.